I can hear. I can't hear me. Real. Hello. Oh wait, no, I couldn't. I when I yelled, I did. Anyways, we're rolling. Vocal exercises. <laughs> Sorry for everyone that had to listen to that. It's a Halloween tale. Spooky season is almost over and I'm sad. Um, Yeah. Well, actually, it's only over if you let it be over. Because for me, I've already decided. And it's funny that you brought this up. I know it's late, but I'm just getting my Halloween decorations today. I'm going to fucking <laughs> decorate my house. And I'm going to keep that shit up till Thanksgiving. I do not care. I have a Halloween manicure oh my god the blood drips that's so cool yeah and then i'm gonna go get my fall manny which means it'll be like green and brown or something oh cool so like foliage color Mm, no what's the fall manny green and brown sad colors oh emo emo yeah emo emo (laughs) manny petty all right so the story I am going to be talking about today is the Soul Halloween Crowd Crush of 2022. I want to preface that if you know you have claustrophobia or you're triggered by talks of large crowds, and uh, I mean, there's also you know death in the story, unfortunately, I would probably. Um, hit pause on this one just because it could be triggering for you. Um, and even I was honestly triggered by researching this story. So the sources for this story, don't judge, Wikipedia, The Washington Post, <laughs> <laughs> BBC, NPR. And then I also skimmed the Crush docuseries a little bit. It had it just, just so you guys know, it just recently came out after I had already started researching this story. So, um, you know, I did skim it a little bit. And I would suggest, um, again, if you're not sensitive, you know, to talks of like death, crowds, and those types of things to watch it. I mean, it's obviously not light watching. It's it's pretty sad, but it definitely If you were sensitive, you probably wouldn't be here anyway. Uh, That is true. That is also true. But like, even for me, certain parts of it, I was like, man, it was, it, (laughs) it was hard, I will say. It also provides additional context. Um, so if you're looking for, you know, good docuseries to watch, I would definitely recommend it. Okay, so, Sam, I know, I actually, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if you're a history buff like myself, but um, to kind of like give you some context about Halloween and its celebrations leading up to this incident, I'm going to give us a little Halloween history. So I'm going to start off with that. If that's okay I love with you. it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yes. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So um, essentially, those of us today, for us that actually grew up in the westernized regions, we are more familiar with the Halloween tradition. You know, think of carving pumpkins and dressing up in costumes to go around knocking on strangers' doors for candy. And what all of us collectively know as trick-or-treating, which of course is the Halloween 
most of us celebrate today. However, and this is pretty interesting, Halloween has ancient Celtic roots beginning in Scotland and Ireland. So uh, it's called the festival and it literally looks like it's pronounced Sam Hain, but it's actually pronounced uh, Sawin. Yeah, or I heard that. Sawin. Like, and I don't know how the Sawin came. It's literally S-A-M-H-A-I-N and it's pronounced Sawin. Sawin. I heard that Halloween is lit in Ireland. Dude. I mean, let's go. Maybe we should do it for the podcast <laughs> next year. Yes. Next year of the next podcast. Year. We'll be recording uh, from a nice misty cafe in Ireland. Oh, my gosh. You're, oh, my God. I'm just imagining, like, green hills and mist everywhere. Uh, that just sounds wonderful. Right? Um, <laughs> so this festival of Sawin or Sawin was celebrated on October 31st as they believed that this was when the door between the alive and dead was open. And um, as far as the art, what I like to call the art of trick-or-treating goes, documentation of this occurring in Scotland and Ireland goes all the way back to the 16th century. And this was referred to at the time as guising. And I'm assuming that's derived from like disguise or, you know, dressing up. So they called it guising. And how guising worked is you'd go house to house. So very similar to trick-or-treating dressed up in costume. Um, but instead you would put on, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I laughed when I read this, but you would literally like perform. <laughs> you would put on, <laughs> you would put on some sort of performance or type of entertainment that would then be rewarded to you in the form of food or a tasty treat. Oh, that sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> an audience and a okay, snack. Sam's like, like you, Sam, you act and stuff like that. So for you, performance. <laughs> but I think for a lot of people with those types of anxieties, they're just like hell to the no. Um, <laughs> so, so my question to you is: If you were around back then, what do you think your performance or talent would be when you would go guising? Say, if you were back then, what would your what would your performance be? If I was younger, it would probably be some sort of really dramatic monologue talking about like <clears throat> some horrible thing that never actually happened to me. And <laughs> I'm just going to make age, these people be, feel bad for me. <laughs> I just want to cry into your arms right now. Um, <laughs> and at this age, probably some sort of dance. Cool. Well, you know, uh, I'm kind of right there with you on the dance part. I'm a freaking foodie. So I feel like I would be all at their front door just serving like all the moves like Blue Ivy on stage at a Beyonce concert. Just like, man, Blue news, Ivy. Have news. you seen? <laughs> Did you see the speaking of Blue Ivy? Sorry not to pause the story. Uh-huh. Did you see the progress videos of her from like yeah. the performance to the last performance? I'm so, I love she's it. She's good. I was like, it's I'm amazing. sorry. She's how old? 11? Yes, she is like controlling it and, you know, holding her own next to these like professional dancers who have been doing this for like how long? Like, I was pretty impressed, you know, so get them. What blue a way Ivy. to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, get Good it, Good job, Mama Beyonce. I know. We love you, Blue. Um. So anyways, <clears throat> back to the story. Back to the story. Back to the story. During this tradition mm-hmm. of guising in Scotland and Ireland, particularly noted in, in the 19th century, geysers would recite... This is where I'm like now imagining you would recite verses. (laughs) They would recite verses like a monologue sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they would sometimes, and then I, and I quote, sometimes warn 
of misfortune if they were not welcome. So I'm guessing that's like the trick <laughs> part, right? Like if they weren't welcomed uh-huh. or given the treat. So I'm assuming that's maybe where the trick part came from. I'm, I'm, I have no idea, but I could just imagine like a little kid telling you like you're going to die because you didn't want to partake in the guising festivities, which is insane. <laughs> in North America, so now we're across the pond on our side, the earliest known form of trick-or-treating or guising took place actually in Ontario, Canada around 1911. But 1917 is when the earliest occurrence of the saying trick or treat became known. Also, as a side note, prior to the 2000s, kids trick-or-treating in Ireland and Scotland would say, help. I don't, I'm trying to do it. Help. (laughs) No, they would say help. I was trying to do it in like an Irish, (laughs) in an Irish accent, like, Help the Halloween party. Okay, I can't do it. Help the, ho- <laughs> help the Halloween party. But now you'll hear the saying trick or treat more often. And I'm assuming that has a lot to do with social media and just obviously, you know, people being exposed to other cultures um, and American entertainment worldwide. So I'm assuming that's why now they say trick or treat instead of help the Halloween. Um, I really need to work on my Irish accent because I feel like I help the Halloween. There you go. Halloween. Was that good? That was I better. That was better than me. Help. Help, help, help the Halloween. <laughs> oh my gosh. I apologize, everyone. And if you're, if you're Irish or Scottish listening to this, just please, you know, your accents are very hard to do. Uh, I've never practiced those accents either. So, so wait, just wait till next time. I know, Halloween. wait till we're ready. And we're actually in Ireland. Just wait. Yeah, just wait. Okay. So what does this have to do with South Korea then? Well, Sam knows, but the rest of you don't. I'm half Korean. I'm first generation. And my mother is actually from Seoul. And growing up, she said there wasn't like Halloween or anything like trick-or-treating at all. In fact, um, it wasn't until she came to America after meeting my dad, who at the time when they met was living on a military base in Seoul, that she even knew or heard of Halloween. And so basically celebrating Halloween in Korea was is more actually of a recent occurrence and is believed to be due to an increase of missionaries, foreign military, and Westerners living there over time, and also Koreans living abroad and being exposed to these, you know, Western traditions and cultures. Prior to the last few decades, Halloween was typically celebrated only on American military bases or by Western missionaries living in Korea. But course, as Seoul became more of a cosmopolitan city within the past 30 years, the celebration of Halloween outside of the military bases and the Christian missionaries were becoming more commonplace, particularly with the younger crowd. So think teens and those in their 20s, um, which is actually the predominant age group at Itaewon's annual Halloween gathering, commonly referred to as Seoul's International District. Itaewon is a buzzing area known for expat-friendly restaurants and nightlife that especially cater to Westerners. Um, It is also a popular spot for Seoul's LGBTQ plus community and other marginalized communities. So it definitely sounds like a place I'd probably, um, you know, be going to around Halloween or I'd definitely like to visit. And of course, being this multicultural melting pot coupled with its popularity amongst the young folks, Western traditions, such as Halloween, were becoming embraced by locals. 
And this led to gatherings of people decked out in costume, going bar and club hopping down the streets. That became a yearly occurrence. And in fact, just under a decade, so it's fairly new within the grand scheme of things, being that this just started like within the past decade. Um, and it was during these Halloween gatherings that um, Itaewon would see its largest crowds out of any other time during the year. So interesting to note as well, there is also no event organizer responsible for the Halloween gathering. It's really just more like a tradition that has developed around um, Halloween over the past year. So people just show up in costume and kind of like people watch and bar and, you know, club hop every Halloween. And of course, as every year that went by, the more that this tradition became popular. But then came 2020 and COVID. Itaewon had been linked to a cluster of COVID-19 outbreaks. So like many other areas all over the world, strict COVID protocols have been put into place, causing many businesses to close. These strict social distancing protocols continued into 2021, and the crowds in Itaewon had almost but disappeared during this period, which is obviously makes sense. Um, but then fast forward to 2022, it had now been a couple of years since people gathered on the streets and alleyways of Itaewon. And as restrictions were lifted, you can imagine many were eager to get out again, just like all of us were here. Actually, I wasn't though, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was fine staying inside. I was fine being a recluse and like not having to see other people, but you know, I would say. You know, early co- <laughs> early COVID was a good time for me. <laughs> yeah. Mid COVID. I, I had a fun time. People were baking sourdough. People were finding other cool ways to connect. Like people were literally like actually doing the hobbies and like other than just like working. So. I often hear it referred to as one, a collective awakening. And so many of us like realized how like the shitty it is yeah. <laughs> the way things are. Oh, yeah. And also just people were happy. Yeah. Yeah. There was also like a lot of horrible stuff going on. But yeah, individually, people were fucking happy. There was like, didn't it feel like there was kind of more of like a community like during that time yeah. just because of like social media and people were just finding a way to like connect and it was like we're in this together kind of thing. And I mean, as we can see how clearly that lasted, but yeah. you know, again, it maybe, you know, not everyone, again, everyone saw it differently, but a lot of people were eager to get out and about once um, restrictions were lifting, particularly this year, because it had been prior to the Halloween um, gathering in Itaewon. So on the evening of October 29th, which is it's 28th today so it's which is almost exactly a year ago people wow. yeah so guys this is like not even a year old as we're recording this people turned out in droves and this was the first year since that saw no restrictions on public gatherings so this resulted in Itaewon seeing some of its highest and largest Halloween crowds ever I'm kind of like ominously painting the picture for you foreshadowing so attending their first Itaewon Halloween that night as a family was Park, Jin Sung, his mom, and little sister who were all visiting Seoul and very excited to check out the Halloween festivities in Itaewon they had heard so much about. Um, sidebar two, Korean names usually start with the surname, the family name in the front. So his first name is like Jin Sung and then the family name is Park if you're wondering. 
that's kind of how they structure their names. When they arrived, the trio had already noticed how packed and tight the crowds were. But unbeknownst to them, as they began to make their way in alongside others and approach the packed alleyway that basically connected like the main street where the subway station was, where a lot of people were actually um, getting off to attend the festivities. So that little alleyway connected that main street to the strip of bars and restaurants, which was another street paralleling that main strip, so if that makes sense. If you look at it, like on a map when I was viewing it, it almost looked like a capital I. So you had like it, the bar and restaurant street and then that little alleyway that connected in the middle. Um, and then at the bottom was like that main street where like the subway station was. Um, and so that alleyway is what connected those two main thoroughways. So as they approached this alleyway, the crowd was already reaching dangerous levels, making it almost impossible to move or even breathe. And then suddenly, Jin Sung and his family began to notice the crowd like heaving and moving in waves. And he oh yelled, um, I, seriously, like, I, I'm not joking. When I was like reading and doing research and watching, my anxiety was, I'm not going to lie, like elevated for sure. Like, I was just like, I can't even imagine because I'm claustrophobic. So like, yeah, I already have chills. Dude, it, uh, <laughs> Again, it's it's such a sad story, and it, it was really, really hard to cover. So basically, they can feel this crowd, you know, surging. And then suddenly, Jin Sung and his family, you know, they start to get nervous, and he yells for his sister to flee and escape while he stays back to basically protect his mother and shield their mother by using his own body in the form and making like a small pocket around them just so they had barely enough space to physically like expand their lungs mm -hmm. to draw air in. I mean, that's how crammed and tight it was. It's, it's insane. Like I've been to festivals and like street festivals where there are crowds and it is insane how tightly packed, you know, people were like also in attendance that night were Nathan Taverniti, an assistant creative producer from Sydney, and Miri Doe, a Korean-Australian aspiring rapper, and their friends. Um, just like many of the other, you know, Halloween gatherers, the group of friends were really looking forward to having fun that night. In fact, there is a group photo that I saw online that they had taken prior to going to Itaewon, and they're all dressed up, and they look so, like, cool, just like the coolest and cutest, like, group of friends and you could really tell that they were feeling festive because they were all dressed up and having a lot of fun just by looking at that photo um so the group of four were somewhere like near or in the alleyway when nathan somehow begins to get separated from the rest of the group the next thing he knows he feels the weight of the crowd as people begin to fall over in almost like a ripple domino uh. yeah and like a ripple domino effect and then he can hear the screams of those falling and being trapped. And at one point, oh my God. he reaches out to grab the hand of someone who he believes to be his friend, Grace, crumbling underneath the crowd of people. But in his attempts to try to grab the hand, um, it slips out of his and is swallowed by the crowd, never to be seen Holy again. Oh, my God. It's, it's honestly just, again, so tragic. And yeah. Um. Nathan claims that he and other patrons were banging on doors of shops and businesses to let them in and provide relief from the suffocating pressure, right, that they were receiving because they're all packed into these like tight streets. And some doors were open, thus saving, you know, those lucky from obvious death, while many other businesses had already been closed or were not aware 
of the drama unfolding just outside their doors. So like some of them maybe just thought like, oh, it's just rowdy people, you know, like banging on the doors. They didn't realize that why people were suffocating and dying. Why weren't they able to like break into these buildings? Um, so just from the videos that I saw, like a lot of it's concrete on the outside and like clubs. So they don't have big windows and stuff like not all of them do. Mm. And it's just doors. You know, you see in movies, people, you know, they like run against a door and they break. But in reality, that is not that just does not happen. You know, it takes like immense pressure and strength, especially like say if there's like a bolt lock or something, you know, you're walking in a group of people, you're you're um. It's not like that you could get a running start, right? To like, you could barely move. Like your movements are so restricted. And in fact, a lot of people were saying that you weren't even in control of your own movements. You're literally the crowd. You're just going wherever the crowd is taking you. Like you can't even control where you're going. So I'm, I'm sure that even with that, it made it very difficult, you know, for people to, they wanted to do something or you have like no control of your body. You can't even like, move your arms out you're just like literally crushed so tightly together mm. so there was also a tiktok video and i uh miri um posted and she was saying how it seemed like before the crush occurred people were agitated clearly because like hello big tight crowds and i'm sure a lot of people are agitated and small fights were beginning to break out everywhere even wow. even one trying to involve her so that's when she and another friend in the group decided that okay this scene is becoming way too chaotic and we got to get the f out of here and in that process of her deciding like okay i've had enough i'm done let's try to get out she loses her footing and she is pushed to the ground being as she describes swept up into the sea of people where she ends up at the bottom of this Ugh. i know of this human pile she describes being stepped on and her head dragging against the ground and she begins to yell out and plead to those around her to please stop stepping on her as she is relentlessly battered by the out of control crowd. And um, I've watched some clips, as as you know, from the docuseries Crush, and they show a lot of these like social media videos. Um, and there's so much footage from various vantage points and angles because, you know, people were everywhere, right? So you, there's people like even like maybe from inside the bars or like it's there's even some like overhead shots that I saw that just shows different angles and vantage points and literally it did not matter it it just from every angle you could literally just see like how tight and crowded everything was like it didn't even look like you could even like couldn't believe like how tight it was and again like I said I was kind of having a panic attack just looking at it um and it it really did look like a sea with waves of people just going wherever the crowd movement took them. And so I totally understand why they were saying there was like really no way at all to even control your movements or where you were going. It's very obvious and don't suggest looking again if you're sensitive, but to get a better idea, there's a lot of videos online that you could see just how bad the crowds were. So calls were increasingly coming into emergency service hotlines hours before the crush occurred and even after from those trapped in the crowds. It is believed the crush occurred around 9.50 p.m. with first responders arriving at the scene more than 30 minutes after. Now, also, someone said that there's actually a police station, too, like not that far from where this happened. But for whatever reason, um, it took more than 30 minutes for first responders to like get to everyone. 
And by the time emergency services showed up, there were already some civilians attempting to perform life-saving CPR efforts on their own friends or even complete strangers. It was clear that when these emergency responders showed that additional support was needed. Tragically, though, by the time this additional support showed up and these additional emergency teams were able to arrive and get the situation somewhat under control. And honestly, that's even being generous here because it was a complete shit show, to be honest. There were already numerous casualties by the time they arrived. So going back to Jin Sung and his, the family, Jin Sung and his mother were eventually rescued and miraculously survived the ordeal. But sadly, his little sister did not make it to safety and was, Aww. I know, it's, I, I get the chills. Just, it's, again, this, a tragic situation. And she was confirmed to be yeah. among the casualties. Um, Miri and Nathan, they also survived. But Miri was critically injured during the crush, and she spent about a month in the hospital where she sustained severe kidney and liver damage, broken ribs, and burns to her head. Oh, my God. Burns. Yes. And in the video, she's, like, talking from the hospital. Like, remember I said she posted a TikTok video? She is posting this from the hospital, and she literally looked up. She, I mean, she looks like she was battered. She looked like she had been through hell and back. It's 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 awful wow. yeah but and nathan uh, immediately after this had happened he, he began searching for his friend grace the one that he thought believed he saw reaching out to him earlier as he was roaming the streets you know he was carefully paying attention to each person whether they were alive or dead and then he noticed familiar looking manicured nails on a body being transported and he went over and as he lifted the cover to reveal the person's face he unfortunately got the confirmation that indeed his friend grace did not survive so um it was it was can't imagine so apparently i guess she had gotten like a manicure and i don't know if it was also a pedicure the day of the event and so he was with her when she got that manicure and so that's how he initially like um noticed her was he noticed this body like the manicure and he's like wait that looks like grace's manicure it's uh, like those little details too are just so like just sad and chill yeah. to me. As the night turned to morning, the death toll just grew and grew, and news of the news of the tragedy spread across the globe. People all over the world were in shock, with many begging the question, "How could this have happened?" In the end, 158 people had tragically lost their lives. That is a ton of people. So crazy. Yeah, most of them barely in their 20s, which is horrible they just like had their lives ahead of them um and then even more tragically the death toll rose to 159 just weeks later when a survivor who had lost both his girlfriend and friend in the incident ended up taking his own life sadly you know i just again and it's that survivor's guilt must be so awful i know and i mean i i i definitely you know suffer from that too Watching these videos and listening to survivors recount their experience was really hard for me. Um, and as I had said before, slightly triggering. Um, you you literally could hear the fear and pain in their voices. And honestly, like my heart just goes out to anyone and everyone affected. I can I somewhat understand like what they went through and what you're going through. And I just I just can't imagine what the experience must have been like for them, really. And as the public, survivors and families of victims demanded answers, well, none were really given. 
Um, many news publications also began to launch their own investigation using videos and photos posted to social media to piece together kind of like what happened. It is believed that around 100,000 people were on the streets of Itaewon. That Holy shit. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like an open field, by the way, either like Coachella is or something. I mean, you're talking about. 100- and I've seen the pictures. It's a very narrow. Oh, yeah. Alleyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100 percent. Um, like you could literally see just how swollen and tightly packed into these narrow streets. Like you said, people were from the various images and videos that were recorded that night. However, one thing was noticeably missing to many, and that was police presence. <clears throat> you see, as we stated before, the streets in Itaewon are notoriously narrow. In fact, the alleyway that was essentially the epicenter of this event was only 13 feet wide. Um, and my mom, in fact, one of the things she first told me when I asked her, you know, if she had ever been to Itaewon was just, she just was like, oh, the streets are just so narrow there. Like that was the, that was like one of the first things that she said when I asked her, have you ever been to Itaewon? And to also give you some additional perspective, most streets on average are almost double that size. Like your, take your typical street in America. That's usually double that size. Right. Um, but for this, it was basically half that size. And on top of that, the alley was sloped at the end of one side. Essentially, it was sloped heading towards down towards the main street where the subway was. So when first responders came, many survivors and bodies were stuck at the bottom of the slope because of the force and pressure that was coming from behind, like at the top of them. And people said like that we're trying to get people out who are alive, like begging you know, like, I can't breathe, I'm stuck. They said it was literally like they were stuck in cement. Like, they literally like couldn't even budge them. That's how crazy, it, like, that pressure from that slope created. It was just, that also it's was so a big wild. It's so wild that there's just not this, like, way that we can collectively work together to get out of that alley. Like, the people in the back walk out, and then everyone, like, it's just... It's insane that we're not able to solve these problems. Yeah, well, it made it harder, though, because the people, it was on a slope. Some people weren't even aware that what was going on. Again, you have tons of people, right? It's loud, right? You can't hear shit. It's loud. So people are like still trying to, you have people like trying to go through the alleyway on one end. And then you also have people coming from the, the other main, like where the subway is the other end. So you have them all pushing in. The same way. And then you have all these poor people right there in the middle that are just taking the force from each end. Yeah. But these oh people God. don't even realize what's happening. They don't know what's happening. And that's why, and I'm about I'm gonna get into it actually. You know, usually with large events, you'll see security or crowd control telling people like go this way or out this way, exit this way, entrance this way. It's for it's because of this stuff like this. It's to prevent stuff like this from happening. So due to all the large crowds expected and layout of the streets in this area it was frightening for many just how little crowd control and police presence there was in fact it was as early as four hours prior to the crash that the first call came in at 6 34 p.m keep in mind the crush started at 9 50 p.m and lasted for like more than half an hour so it was literally four hours prior to all of this happening that someone who was obviously concerned about the situation had called emergency responses and they were begging for them to send police because of the growing number of people. And they even specifically noted 
that they were afraid someone was going to be crushed or hurt due to this. So that's the first call, 634, four hours prior. In fact, and in addition, many calls came in after that initial call stating almost the same exact thing. And obviously, as you got closer, right, to the time frame that this happened, the calls were getting more frantic and more urgent. So you, what was the police's hmm. response to these calls? Oh, you're about to find out. Um, <laughs> so you have multiple calls coming in over the course of four hours. Okay. Four hours. You have multiple calls all saying the same thing all saying that the crowds were too big, that police needed to come to help control the scene. And it was also revealed that the fire department, okay, even called the police asking for their assistance in controlling wow. the crowd. They didn't Talk even... The police, uh, that's how I treat dude, they didn't even. they didn't even help their homies out. Like, you got the... That's frick- wild. Yeah. So, again, just many opportunities, many opportunities that were missed. You know what I mean? However, authorities and Minister Lee Song Min stated that there was no way to prevent, quote unquote, such a disaster from occurring, BS. Um, but then an investigation into this revealed that the Yong Song police themselves had prepared a report, get this, they had prepared a report days prior, okay, <gasps> that predicted a crowd of at least 100,000 people in Itaewon for Halloween and... It even suggested that to avoid any accidents, proper safety measures should be put in place. Despite this report, the authorities did not act on those recommended safety plans. And this was days before this happened. The police made even made their own report saying, hey, there's going to be a ton of people coming and we should probably have these safety measures put into place. But it was ignored, basically. But why? And sadly, there was never a reason given as to why. And I'll go on to further clarify. So as if things could not seem, just hold your hold your pants, hold your horses. <laughs> I don't know if you have any pants on. I know we're recording at home, so it's a possibility you don't have pants on. But if you I have d- pants, okay. On. But if you do, hold on to them because as if things holding. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Um, as if things could not seem any more sus. That same report was magically deleted three days after the Halloween crowd crush. At corruption. Girl, corruption Bitches. on many. Let's just say it was a corruption on many levels. And here we go. Investigators. <gasps> yep. Investigators allege that Park Sung Min, a high ranking intelligence officer with Seoul's Metro Police, instructed that the internal report be deleted. Right. So after this had happened, he instructed that the internal report be deleted. They also believe it was under this order that another intelligence officer with Yongsan police then forced his subordinates to get rid of the file. When news of this broke, people were outraged and authorities were under heavy scrutiny from the public, rightly so. And uh, this actually um, and again, like there there was a lot of things like this led to a ripple effect and it was just like tragedy after tragedy. But this led to a vice chief who was under investigation and a safety division official both taking their own lives. I think I think it was actually on the same day that they both took their own lives because of the investigation into basically essentially how this whole thing was botched. Wow. So that's three people so far that took their after, own lives after this. After, yeah. So far that you've mentioned. Yeah. So it's not just like, you know, the families, right, of those that were at the event. But now you have the families of these you know, officials who, again, they didn't do the right thing, 
but you know, their families are also now having to mourn, you know, how this has also impacted them. Again, it, it is a sad ripple effect because, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's horrible to think that this could have been prevented and it just wasn't. But here we are, you know, basically a year almost to the day. And still there are no answers for the survivors and victims' families with no agencies or senior government officials being held responsible for that night. In fact, many of them were um, like have been found not responsible, which is like, okay, well then who Hmm. the fuck is, right? Um, Right. In fact, victims is that you literally just took the words out of my fucking mouth. (laughs) I'm dead serious. Uh, My next sentence was, in fact, some officials have blamed the individuals themselves for attending and putting themselves into a dangerous situation. Just very despicable, honestly, in my opinion. And the victim blaming. Well, that and is- you can't count on people to control yeah, themselves. Yeah, let's just have That's drunk- why we have something called crowd control. Yeah. Because you can't count on everyone to have that survival well, instinct. And isn't- Not everyone has survival instincts. Right. Exactly. Just shit pouring out of their mouths continuously, respectfully. I don't even know if it's respectfully. I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know if it's respectfully at this point, to be honest. It's not. Yeah, but this was not the first time something of this magnitude has happened oh. that also could have been preventable. The Seoul Halloween crowd crush in Itaewon is the deadliest loss of civilian life in Korea since the 2014. MV Seoul Ferry Sinking, which claimed the lives of more than 300 people, most of whom were high school students on a trip, actually. So, again, taking the lives of young and promising individuals. Um, and this was, you know, years prior. And it was also through that that they found that there was just a lot of ways that that entire situation could have pre- prevented. And there was also a lot of scrutiny against government and government officials, you know, with that incident as well after the crowd crush incident jin sung the one who lost his sister told bbc that he receives text messages weekly from a counseling center set up for survivors by the government however jin sung doesn't respond to these messages saying quote it's run by the government and i don't trust government very much so i don't feel comfortable going there which i feel you right like totally understandable so I just want to say, you know, it's this is dedicated to the 159 souls whose lives are tragically lost and the survivors and families still fighting for them today. I mean, there's still no answers, still no accountability. And that's what one year later, um, I think even uh, Jin Sung said at one point too, like, even if they just said, sorry, you know, that would have provided me some, you know, relief. Or just some sort of closure. But he's like, I haven't even heard them say sorry or apologize that this happened. You know, I mean, we heard them obviously blame the victims, but they haven't even just said sorry to the survivors and their families um, and the victims' families. So that is my sad story and a story of the survivors. Just some of them from the Seoul Halloween crowd crush there. Again, there was tons of people there. There were many people who were affected by this. I mean, even globally, there was a lot of, you know, tourists, Westerners, expats, you know, students. And you can see some of those additional um, survivor stories on Crush, the documentary that I had um, mentioned in the story. And it provides more survivor stories and additional insight into the investigation. Sam, maybe you want to 
take a look at that to just get, you know, additional information. But it's again, I'm going to warn it is not easy viewing. But I also wanted to provide some sort of tips that I actually found the CDC, Center for Disease Control out of all people, they actually have a page on how to survive a crowd crush. This isn't the only time a large group of people will gather um, for an event. I know we go to concerts, festivals, things of that nature. So I thought I would actually talk about a few tips on how to survive a potential crowd crush. So number one, keep your hand in front of your chest like a boxer and keep firm footing. So that was one of the things that one of the survivors in the Crush docu-series was talking about is that how she was able to get out is that some random guy literally like ran up behind her, saw she was struggling and just said, hey, like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to put your hands up in front of you. And then was telling her like, okay, what left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, and like helping her out of the crowd. And, um, you know, it's just really amazing how someone that you just don't like have never met before sees you in a time of need and is coming to your aid. And so that's essentially one of the techniques that she actually used to get out of the crowd crush. The second, yeah, the second is don't resist the force of the crowd. Clearly it's one of you and the force of many. So uh, don't resist. Also, when there is a lull in movement, work your way diagonally to the edge of the crowd. So remember, I was telling my story about how people said it was kind of like in waves, you know, there'll be like, like a push forward. And then there'll be like a wave where it stops in between that movement. When there is that pause, you want to work your way diagonally to the edge of the crowd. And then also stay on your feet, really try to stay on your feet. That's the one thing is a lot of the people that sustain horrible injuries is when they fell to the ground and were being trampled. But if you do fall down, protect yourself by curling into a ball and really just trying to protect like your vital organs in your head and things like that. So, um, and also be aware, really be aware of your surroundings. I think that goes for a lot of situations, but especially when you're in, uh, you know, a place with a lot of crowds, a lot of people, a lot of noise, just having that extra sensitivity to your surroundings, I think can also help you anticipate, you know, if something's going to happen. So yeah, I I really hope, uh, you know, if you are attending um, an event with a lot of people, you'll keep these tips in mind and don't find yourself in the same situation. Yeah, I think it's so important to have all of those survival tips in the back of your head and just carry them with you. Yeah. And I think for me too, like, I think what I would love to do, you know, I know this is like just, we're just in our second episode, but I think I'm going to start doing that. I think I'm going to, you know, try to put in maybe like when we have a survival story, putting in like some tips on like either how that person survived, or if you find yourself in that situation, you know, what are some tips that you can do to get yourself out of it? Because I'm always constantly with my anxious mind, you know, wanting to anticipate, okay, like even when, you know, me and my boyfriend go out into the wilderness, something goes down, how am I going to get myself out of this, you know? Well, that's like the major takeaway from, you know, podcasts like these or documentaries or even scary movies is you look at what the smartest (laughs) person in the room did and how they survived and you're like, okay, make note or what they didn't do and how it could have saved them if they had done something differently. Yeah, totally. 100% right there with you. Yeah, so that's it. And definitely uh, so excited that you guys, even if I know this is like very early stages, for those of you that are listening, we hope you stick around. 
So Sam, do you want to close us out? Okay. We hope you've been inspired by our tales of ordinary people doing ah, my cat. <laughs> She's attacking I think me. the cat wants to close out. <laughs> she just like <laughs> stuck her paw through the little hole in my chair and smacked me in the butt. <laughs> if I pinch her hard enough, she'll meow, but she's not an on-demand meower. <laughs> um, I stepped on her paw this morning and she screamed. One more time. One more again, one more again. <coughs> we hope. <coughs> <coughs> you guys, she's got COVID, so she's a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you've been inspired by our tales of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And remember, stay safe, because in the end, we're just mortals. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. I think you have to do the cat one. Eh. <laughs>